We've been focusing this fall on this idea of building a sustainable faith, building blocks for a sustainable faith. We, we've been focusing on 2 Peter chapter 1, the first few verses, talking about these building blocks that allow us to have a faith that is nimble, capable of prevailing through the inevitable ups and downs of life. And we've been talking a lot, whether it's stuff that's going on in the world, which is crazy, or things that are happening around us, our relationships, workplace, or in our own heart, in our own life. Um, the Lord wants to teach us how to prevail. How to, and this, what we're going to be exploring in a, in a few minutes together is really directly connected to that. This whole idea of perseverance, how to do this, what does it mean? What's the Bible talking about? How do we grow that capacity in our lives? This is what we're going to explore. I'm going to go ahead and pray, though. I'm going to ask God to bless our time. Just kind of like join with me here. And Lord, we... You know, we want to, we've come, we've been able to sing to you, we've been able to actually celebrate you and just make, uh, joy, have joy together. And, and now we come and we're going to just, you know, pull back a bit. And again, all the other things that may have been on our minds, beautiful day, beautiful day outside. And maybe we have plans later on, but we're here in your house. And when we come into your house, it's a place where your name is loved and where your words are spoken of in, in meaningful ways. And so we bring to you as a group together all of our stories, and each one of us has our own life. And we want to, as much as possible, interact with you here and welcome you in. And so I pray blessing, and I, I pray grace, and I pray the goodness of God among us. And I ask for that blessing to flow. In Jesus' name I pray this, Lord. Amen, God. All right, so let's jump right in. We'll pick back up with the key verses that we've been looking at. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 and 6 for right now. But also for this very reason... Peter writes as a much older man to a group of believers in Jesus. He says, but for this very reason, giving all diligence, that is, make every effort, add to your faith. There's building block number one, virtue, moral excellence, number two. Add to virtue, knowledge. We talked about that as number three, knowledge, self-control. And then now we come to add to your self-control, perseverance. Now, this is an interesting word that we translate out. In the Greek word, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, we translate that into our English words. And sometimes the Greeks would, the ancient Greek had different words that they could use to, to enhance nuance. And uh, this particular word that we translate out as perseverance, sometimes in certain versions it might come out as patience or steadfastness. But its literal meaning had to do with this idea of remaining behind or remaining in the house. So, so it, it, it implied a kind of stability or steadiness. But one of the things that's also pretty clear about this word, and I'm going to just have us explore some of the meaning to lay the foundation together, but of what this, this concept, this virtue, this, this thing that God's calling us to pursue, this building block for a sustainable faith, I want, I want us to think about what it actually means and what it's getting at and push into it a little bit further. So let me just put something up. I'll put a couple things on the board fairly quickly. The, the first thing I want to say about it, though, is that when we think about this word, perseverance, it involves courage. And uh, it has to do with not running away from things, but choosing to face things. Now, there's always going to be situations in life that we're going to probably identify as being tough. Uh, I was talking to someone, and I said, you know, I don't think there's any of us here who doesn't have something that we're trying to work through a problem, a relationship. I mean, the fact of the matter is, it can be very easy. An interesting thing, we use this word discouragement, but that means the absence. Think about the root of that word is courage. 
we have to think of what does discouraging means to feel defeated, to feel kind of despairing, to, to feel like, you know, we want to give up. When we're discouraged, it's tough to move into things because part of us just wants to quit. But what God is partly saying when he uses this idea of perseverance, what we're being told by Peter, who, by the way, was someone who really knew failure. I think it even, means even more to me when we hear it is Peter telling us this because he was a, someone who had known extraordinary failure. He had felt what it was like to be severely disappointed with himself. And a lot of times in life, we will find ourselves in places where we will feel depressed or discouraged or unenthused and we struggle to want to give up. And that's, I'm, what I'm saying is that's real. Now, some of us came in, uh, it, you know, it took tremendous, you know what's interesting? It took courage for some of us to come into the Lord's house. For some of us, it was like the idea of coming to church, maybe for us for the first time in a long time, or because somebody invited us that we, we trust. We've come in, it's kind of foreign to our experience, but we're here. And I would say that I think God has something good for us. Others of us, it, just, it was hard for us because maybe part of us didn't even want to go because we're feeling like, you know, a little bit defeated, or maybe... It, it's interesting. Sometimes people tell me, I'll come back to church when I get my life together. And I always say, don't wait for that, my friend. Don't let that be it. I go, it's not about getting good enough for God to love us. We come to him real and authentic. I go, they're not a one of us here. If we all wait till we're, we are totally acceptable to impress him, we'll never, none of us will make it. It's about coming to the Lord as we are and watching what he can do in our lives. And that means being as honest and as real with the mess or the difficulties or the challenges we face, some of which we had nothing to do with directly. The sort of other people's decisions have affected us, laid things into our lives that if we were able to choose it, we wouldn't have wanted it. But it's part of our life and we have to deal with it. Others of us, it's directly connected to the choices we've made Sometimes those things have to do with these discouraging places, have to do with, like with Peter, self-inflicted wounds, right? When he denies the Lord because he was so proud and thought more highly of himself and was totally unprepared for what he had to deal with. And after he failed so miserably, he can barely even look at Jesus on the other side of the resurrection. That's another story, other side of the cross and the resurrection moment. The fact is that some of us may have come in here, we may be struggling, we may have issues. So maybe some of us have physical issues. Um, we might have areas of, of addictive behavior we, we are struggling with. That's the truth. Some people may not even know about it. It might have to do with all kinds of different things. We, I mentioned that we live in a really intense culture. It's, it's amazing times. Technology is just stunning in what it's opened up to us. But along with it, we have a lot of people who are very unhappy and uh, stuck in places and just really having a difficult time getting, getting free of stuff. And some of us came in here, we, had, we have emotional issues. We may even have had, we may have, as we speak, you know, sense of feeling really lonely. And sometimes in our loneliness, we'll do things. I talked, look, you know what? Some of us might have anger stuff in us. We came to the Lord's house today, but we're mad. We're angry. Women, some of us even came in fighting, you know? That's possible. It's happened. It happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to get up and preach sometimes where I said, can I take the day off here? Because <laughs> this one, I don't feel right. But then it's about God's grace. Some of us have relational issues that we're, we're, we really, honestly, they're just intense. Um, there's a breakdown in communication. 
We've got an impasse, a good friendship seems to be unraveling. We're having a hard time with that, what it means. Some of us have real deep people. Um, we're having deep fissures with people we love. Our words are filled with emotion, and there's tension, and there's long periods of silence, and we're not talking, and we're hurt, and we're hurting each other back. And it's kind of really hard. For others of us, it could be spiritual stuff. Like I mentioned with Peter, I mean, his issue was so tough because he was, he, he, he failed. So it's, it's sometimes we come in and we, we feel so ashamed. He felt shame, right? He felt ashamed. That's a hard thing. Guilt. I'm saying some of us have stuff that we can't get free of. We're really fighting to get free of it. We don't want it as part of our life. We feel stuck. We feel inhibited. We feel discouraged at times. So I'm trying to cast a broad net. What I'm suggesting is the Lord wants to teach us how to be courageous when parts of us wants to run away. Courage means facing things, being honest with them, being open to God, doing some amazing things in our lives when a part of us just wants to quit, give up, and go somewhere else. And I'll take it one more step further, this idea of perseverance. It not only has the idea of staying with something when part of us wants to run away, it also is an extremely hopeful word. So that's the second piece here. It really is hopeful. It's not like it, it, the very word itself, the way it's being used, contains this tinge of optimism. So it's not like I'm just enduring to get, get through something. It's, it, it's, it's about something that of an expectation. Many of us at times, as we grow in our faith, will become acquainted with the verse in Romans, Romans 8, 28, which says, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. This idea that God wants to, us to embrace life with a, with a never-ending, I'll use this word, relentless sense of his goodness at work in our lives. That if we will line ourselves up with God in spite of despite, or in light of whatever things may be happening, whether we did, we did it or someone else or something happened that we had no control over, that God, when we welcome him into our lives, he will bring good from even the bad. It's what he does. That's why we say he's the redeemer, because he takes away the sin and he brings life, the sin of this world. In his brokenness comes life. Whenever we take communion, we remind ourselves he was broken for our wholeness. The one who suffered, suffered for our well-being. I mean, there is always the reminder to us that he takes what is broken and he brings life and good out of it. That's what God does. And God will do that in our lives, too. He's got a track record of doing it. He can take broken things and bring wholeness into them. He can take our weaknesses and teach us what his grace looks like. There's no limit to what God can do if we'll allow him to do it. But it means we're going to have to retain a level of hope in our lives and, and ask him to help us to do that. And again, it might be it, it's sort of like we live with this expectancy of God bringing good, even though it may not be the good that we were thinking. It may not be the good that we were hoping for at the time that we were hoping for. It may be a good deferred, but good is coming. God is with us. Paul wrote about this, 2 Corinthians 4. You see that second passage in the handout. He said, look at, look, and look at these words. Look at what he's expressing. See if you've ever related to this. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Other versions say jars of clay. We're like fragile. All people are. Even the toughest, whoever we may be, are, are still vulnerable. We can all be hurt. And we, can, we all have blind spots. And we all have weak zones. That's just a fact. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Look what Paul says. Look at these phrases. Some of them might really hit us. He goes, we are hard pressed. Look at this. We are hard pressed on every side. Have we ever been hard pressed on every side? 
where we feel so much pressure on us. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, everywhere I turn, I feel pressure. I feel the heat. It's on me. That, when that happens, he says, I feel pressed, hard pressed on every side. But he says, but I am not crushed. I feel, look what he says. We are perplexed. That is, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this thing. I don't know the right way to move. He says, I am perplexed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. That, that is not going to be the defining issue in our lives. We are persecuted, in his case, literally, but not forsaken. God has not abandoned us. That's fascinating because a lot of times we think when something is going wrong, where are you, God? I thought you said you loved me. I thought, I thought you were going to take care of every detail. And the fact of the matter is we find that as we begin to follow Jesus that we walk through a lot of stuff that's still unfair. And there's residue of our past. There's residue of our present choices. There's impacts from other people who've made decisions that affect our lives. We live in a broken world. Bad things happen. It's a sin-impacted world that God has come to address, but he did it by giving himself away and being broken for us. He entered into the brokenness, but not everything works out exactly as we're hoping, but God is still with us. That's the beauty of it. Paul says, not only that, I'm also not only persecuted, I'm, yes, but I'm not forsaken. I'm struck down even, but I'm not destroyed. You see, there's kind of a resiliency. Do we see what he's, this is what he's getting at. This kind of, we talk about sustainability of faith. This is a resilient faith. This is a faith that is really capable of moving through all the things that, that life hits us with. The up places, the down places, the tough places, the hard places, the questioning places, the doubting places. God always is able to bring good from it. That's part of what we're getting at. But here's the third piece. So it's not, it's basically being courageous. It's being hopeful. It's refusing to give in to the despair and negativity. Choosing to remember we, we have a God who loves us. So I do not need to be defined by my, my, my problem. I can be defined by the one who loves me. And then thirdly, this idea of, not, of perseverance is not some like stoic submission to um, the inevitable that I can never escape from. So what I'm talking about here is it's not just, he's not saying, when Peter says, add to your faith perseverance, right? Add to this, this, he's not saying just, you know, just learn how to grit your teeth and bear it. Learn how to be tough. Don't feel. Just this is, and I meet people, this is the way it is. It's my life. You know what he, okay, what is the difference between one and three? One says, don't run away from things. It's stay in the house. Three says, how are you in the house? How are you being? What are our words? What are our attitudes? How are we positioning ourselves there? That's a different thing. It's a choice we make. It basically has to do with this idea of, I'm not just going to act as if this is how we'll always be. I'm stuck here. Um, I give up. Forget it. I've been hurt too many times. Why bother? This is how it is. You know, people who do this, who, who allow themselves to be hurt, get hurt. People, we, you know what, this will never happen. God doesn't really, you know, I don't understand it, but nothing's going to happen. And, and you know, or I, I, this is what I have. This is my lot in life, so this is how it is. Forget it, you know, I don't care. I don't care, I don't care. It doesn't bother me anyway. To that, that's, not, that's not what he's talking about. He's, he, 
there's a, oh, there's a quote. I know this is going to stretch us a little, maybe a little bit. This is from an older commentary, but I found it to be really helpful for me, so I just wanted to put it out there. You'll see it's in the quote section there in the gray, gray area um, by, the, by the verses in the handout. It says, the one who professes not to be troubled by events because they do not care about what happens is not an example of a patient person. The truly patient one does care what happens. Neither, look at this, neither is a do-nothing spirit to be identified with patience. Patience, as it's being described, perseverance as it's being described, it's not like, I'm not going to, I don't care, and I'm not going to do anything about my situation. That's not true. This patience of waiting is not the inaction of sluggishness nor of despondency. No, what it is, is a watchful inaction. Watchful inaction. Why? Because conditions can change. Early on, I had a little... It was a little phrase that I started to share and, and in, my, in my Christian life as I started to think about um, life in general and, and just the, the, the days ahead, the decades ahead when I was younger. Um, the phrase somehow found its way into my life, uh, prepare for the opportunity that may never come. And, I, and, and it sort of became this idea of how we position ourselves in a place of a deferred opening. There are things we pray for, aspire for, dream for. We want to see God deliver us out of or see something open up for us. But are we preparing for that? A lot of times what's happening in these waiting places in life where we feel stuck is here's the problem. I've had the same problem. We feel so disillusioned and discouraged that we stop contending in a time in our life when, if anything, it's when God's trying to deepen us. He's trying to grow us. He's trying to forge things in and out of us. In these waiting places that are hard is where our true character is formed. It's where certain things are burned out of us and our, our, own, our own need for God becomes even more apparent, sort of like emerges out of the relief. It, it shows up. It, it begins to, to become clear to us that the way to the Lord is a humble path, that, that, that pride is often burned away in the difficult places. And so I say that because we, when we're in these places that is hard, it's the character work that God's trying to do in us and through it. Not because he, look, God doesn't necessarily send the bad, but he can use the bad. And he can take what is bad and bring good. I know I'm speaking very general terms, but he has a pattern of doing it. And the key is how are we being in that place? If we cut ourselves off emotionally and act like it doesn't matter to protect ourselves, we're just going to get in the way of God trying to help us. Be real. Be honest. We can say, Lord, this is not good. Lord, I am weak. Lord, I am discouraged. That's okay. I'd rather hear, God can handle it. It's when we pretend that we don't have an issue because no one's going to know me. You know, I don't feel anything. And I'm not talking about walking. I'm saying is there's a choice that we make to live as one loved. And we begin to ask God to help us and to grow us and to work with us. We begin to trust him. We, came as, we start to claim his promises of goodness even, even in the worst places in our life. We begin to welcome him into those. When we walk with the shepherd, we are not alone. Now, I say all that, and it brings me to this, because how do we then, if that's what perseverance is, how do we grow that in our lives? You've told me what I ought to do. Well, how do I do it? Well, let's talk about that, because I'm hoping that what happens out of this, by the way, is more conversations somewhere in the week, 
small groups over a cup of coffee with a friend, praying for one another, somewhere along the way, maybe at work the next day, we talk about, hey, you know what, this is, what do you think about this? And out of these things that I'm about to put up, which one really connects? One thing I want to suggest about perseverance, or as is Christian perseverance, this idea of prevailing, is that one of the best things we can ever do when we find ourselves in a really difficult place, and again, it could be about us, could be because of something someone we love is going through and it's affecting us, which can even be harder, is we need to meditate and consider the example of Jesus. And I'm talking about connecting with him, especially around the cross. You know, so many of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so much of the focus is on the last week of the life of Christ. An in, a, a disproportionate amount of the four Gospels are devoted to the final week of Jesus' life. You look at it. And that's because so much of it is designed to get us to where he needed to go. And when we look at Jesus, when we start to examine how he conducted himself he becomes an example for us to draw strength from. It's really good for us to think about the cross and what he had to endure, what it meant to trust God, his Father, and how he wrestled with things but yet moved forward. I tell you, it's such a biblical thing because in Hebrews, this is a New Testament book, talks about Jesus, and it says this, and I asked them if they could put this up. It says this in Hebrews 12. It says, looking unto him who's the author and the finisher. So the, the writer's talking about running the race of faith, by, he has all these examples, but he talks about Jesus, and he says he's the author, the originator, the completer of our faith. And look what he says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, threw it off, um, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he says this, and this is an older version, but he says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, from people, that, the callousness of those who hated and despised him, the callousness the, the brutality of the Roman soldiers who handled him, uh, the, the things that he walked through and modeled of trust. Um, consider him who endured such hostili hostility, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So there is a power that can be released when we consider Jesus and the way he's, the way there was one moment in the book of Luke, I think it's Luke 9, 51, I believe, where he, he was getting ready to head back into Jerusalem when everybody was telling him, don't do it. And it says that he steadfastly came off the, the mount, the place of blessing, and he, he, he set himself, the older version says, like a flint. He, just, he totally positioned himself. It says, steadfastly set himself towards Jerusalem. This idea of being totally committed to giving himself away. The other time, it says that he, we remember when he was in the garden and he, and he prays. He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done, right? Take this cup from me if possible, but not my will, yours be done. And then on the cross, because he says, you know, Father. Well, he had seven sayings that are recorded. But the one that I'm thinking of right now is when he declared, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's the idea of entrusting God. He models what it is to be courageous. He models what it is to be sacrificial. He models what it is to trust. It was the joy that was set before him, the joy to please his father, the joy to see us blessed. All of those things are right there. But okay, but switch that out. Here's another practical thing we can do. Sometimes it's helpful to shift our focus onto the bigger picture, okay? Now, 
They, when we're in the middle of something, a lot of times when we're feeling tremendously stressed or perplexed or f- just pressured, um, it feels like we're just stuck. And sometimes it can become suffocating. And we start to just feel all tensed up. Everything seems to be closing in on us. A lot of times in those places, it's really good for us to pull out of that, that little tight space that we're in and to get big and to go, God, I know you are with me in this life. And I know that, you know what, and then start thinking, Lord, Lord, help me not to be so consumed over something. Because in the big picture, will it it matter in a year? Will it matter in five years? Will it really matter in 10? Will it matter in 20, 30, what about 50 years from now? Or when I leave this world to be with you, honestly, how should I live my life? I should live my life as one loved by God. And I should live my life as someone who's embedded in the promises of God that are secured in Jesus Christ on the basis of what he has done, the promise of life beyond this life. That has so much meaning. And there are some times where we're stuck in a place and we're like, it's sort of like, it's like being on the edge of a river and you're looking, you can see it. Or maybe being on the edge of a forest and you're kind of in the midst of the trees and it just, you can't see anything. Very little, maybe a path, small one. But then you get up on the top of a mountain, that same mountain looking on down at that valley. And you know what? You can see things from a very different perspective. It's no different than if we're like driving on the 101 and got cars on every side of us. The difference between driving with cars on our side and in front and behind of us, right? Behind us. And then coming in on an airplane into SFO and seeing that same highway and freeway. It's just a very different viewpoint. I'll give you another example. Bear with me because this, this is a sports analogy. And I know not everybody's into that, all right? But we did kind of have a pretty big event this past week happen, <laughs> I will say. And, you know, as a longtime Giant fan, I can tell you, because, you know, I grew up. I mean, I, I, this, is, this is my home turf. I, I, I was born here. And uh, when I was a boy, there was no such thing as AT&T. And it was, it was like Candlestick Park. And uh, I remember seven, eight, now I'm only nine years old, about 10 years old, I'm going on Muni with my brother in our baseball glove. There's the two of us, transistor radio, only 3,000 people at the park. <laughs> yeah, what's that? Somebody says, you know, it's true. Um, but there were like these things, these like boxes, they were like radios, and, and they, they had waves. And then you could like turn them on during, in class with a little earphone that could connect, not unlike an, anyway, this is a whole other story. The bottom line is I ended up going to these games when I was growing up. I became a real giant fan as the years went by. I'll tell you, man, what a week this was for me. If you, if I have such, I was so excited. I was away. I was in Texas. Um, I know. I was in Texas uh, on, on Wednesday. I know we had something going on. We had something at the church as well. But, it, I was, but I was watching the game all alone in my room. Now, I'll tell you, I've watched a lot of games in my life because that was so intense to me. I mean, by the time it hit the fifth, the sixth inning, it was so, in, I mean, it was like, Again, I know not everybody's a giant fan, but everybody, I, I just had they were, they, they, the amount of tension in the game. And then, of course, getting all the way to the ninth inning. And then to have that thing happen in the ninth inning, it was like, come on. Right? I remember I was already nervous as it was. I was like, no, 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 no. There was nobody in the room with me, but I was still doing it. It's going, no. And then, and then. A few minutes later, yeah, yeah, yes. Now, I say that to say this, okay? I'm about to say something. Four, four, four days later, well, Saturday, that was Wednesday, Saturday. I'm in the car 
coming back from Sacramento with my wife, Cheryl and I were driving back home. We went to watch our, our, our youngest daughter play a game with her school, uh, the university. And so we're driving back, and um, you know, I'm, this has been a great week, you know, the Giants, the parade, oh, this is so exciting, the game, the best game I ever saw, you know, this is 11. Now, what happens is we turn the radio on, we're driving back, and you know, I had watched it from the perspective of these other announcers who are not our home announcers on TV, you know, just by myself. Well, I turned the radio on, and they were, they, they were going to have a special replay they were replaying the entire game. And I got in there around the fifth or sixth inning, and I said, Cheryl, this is going to be great. Right? You know? <laughs> I'm going to listen to the game, right? Now, can I tell you this? Um, I listened to the, that game very differently when I was driving home than when I had experienced it on Wednesday. Because I'll tell you, I'm going, you know, we get to the ninth inning, and I'm saying, this is going to be good. <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, it's like it happens. And the play, I go, you know, I'm going, I already know the outcome. We win, right? So I'm hearing it very differently. It's like, Blanco, go ahead and miss the ball. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Perez, move it around all you want. We win anyway. I know we got a parade and everything. It doesn't matter. I can enjoy it totally differently. This is great. This is so good. We win. What is that telling us? <laughs> it makes all the difference when you know the outcome. And I listen totally different. When I'm hearing it in one sense, I have no idea. Like I'm wrestling through stuff, I was tense. But on this side, I'm, all I'm saying is when we live as people who are assured of an outcome, it affects how we process things in the present. I hear it very differently. Right? And if, I could, if we can remember that, Lord, you won. We win. All is well. I don't mean that like some, you know, wait. I'm talking about it like, <laughs> like, Lord, you did it. You've given me a promise. May I live as one assured of a good ending in this story. In fact, it's an ending without ending. And may I then allow that understanding that I believe, which you invited me to, to affect how I live in the present. So that when I make these, when I have these times of struggle, I say, Lord, help me to remember to have a perspective on things. Because Jesus said this. You know what he said? He said, uh, be, do not be filled with worry. Do not worry about tomorrow. Right? Powerful. In fact, that leads to the other piece here. Sometimes it's good to come in the big perspective and go macro because we're stuck in the weeds. Other times it's good to flip it around and in the middle of our issue, instead of envisioning problems about tomorrow and about the next day, we shift our focus into the small. And we say, Lord, you know what? I'm not going to worry about like, something happens, something's coming. So I, what this could be, this is good, the diagnosis or some other thing that I know is going to happen. We start living into it. We start envisioning all the bad things that can happen. And the Lord said, don't borrow from tomorrow's trouble. There's enough trouble today. Don't worry about what we cannot control anyway. Trust God. That's a very different perspective because the outcome is a good one. That's what he's saying. Now, when that affects our lives, what happens is it changes how we perceive things. It's sort of like, you know, now, AA, the roots of AA go all the way back to the Christian faith. And the concept of one day at a time makes total sense. Because for an addict or for a person who's struggling, 
and who has uh, alcoholic addiction, could be drugs, could be anything, the idea sometimes of having a lifetime of abstinence is so intimidating and feels so overwhelming that one of the things we're taught is, you know what, when that happens, drop into the 24-hour mode, one day at a time. Don't try to think big picture. Stay small. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly what the Lord invited us to do. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, what is, what is one of the things he says? Give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily life with God. There are some times we need, we just, let's not go there. And if we are going to go there, go all the way. And remember what he said and what he has done, and what he has secured. And then let that perspective affect how we're experiencing right now. Last thing, we'll leave it here. Uh, one of the things that I've found to be really helpful in my own life with God is that sometimes, um, in addition to shifting between macro and micro, between the big and the small, the Lord will lead us at times to listen to him. And every problem, by the way, has an answer. Even if that answer is, trust me in the question. Sometimes the answer is no, not now. Sometimes the answer is grow. I don't know the answers all the time, except I know the one who has them and who will work with our lives. But I will say this. Sometimes one of the best things you can do, we can do, is to sit in the Psalms. Now, I know this is, for, this is like, what, that's a book in the Bible. Obviously, a lot of us know that. One of the Old Testament books in the Psalms reminds us of people who prayed and sang songs to God. But this is why I say it. In places where perseverance is required, begin to read the Psalms. I say to people, when you need wisdom for life, read the Proverbs. Uh, but Psalms is a great book because it has such real, authentic prayers. And that you can see it, that people are struggling with things and trying to trust God. And one of my favorite ones is the most helpful ones is in Psalm 27. And I actually put this, and we'll close with this. This is what the psalmist writes. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the smooth path. By the way, a smooth path is something that's a contrast to a rocky and an unstable one um, where we would fall and trip and perhaps go over a cliff. But in a smooth path, we don't stumble. He says, Lord, keep me in the smooth path. And then he says, because of mine enemies. I think of the enemy. When I read the psalms, a lot of times I think of the enemies in my life. I think of the things not as people, so now there can be relational stuff, but I'm thinking more about the things that are really hard, the challenging. I'm thinking about spiritual things, things inside of my own heart, I'm thinking about pressures that I'm feeling, things that would undermine my faith in Jesus. When, I'm, when we are, because of my enemies, says, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. False witnesses have risen up against me. So David, or the, the psalmist is having relational challenges. And he's talking in the context of these relational issues. He says, some of them just, they hate me. They, they've risen up against me, they, they, such as breathe out violence. They want to they hurt me. Now, in his case, there was a relational with, with a kind of physicality component to it. But a lot of times, you and I might struggle. It could be relational. It could be other stuff that we're having to work through. Here's the point. He says this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed. I would have given up. I would have quit unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. What does that mean? Entrust him with our concern. And then stay in that place of optimistic perseverance. Trust him. Not, not in a dejected way. Own our words. Be open to what God can do even in the bad. And he says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. He will hold you. He will hold you in this place. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now what happens is, a lot of times you're reading a psalm, and as you're reading it, it'll be like God says, and you hear me say this a lot, 
That word is for you right here. Claim this word. Claim this promise. Yes, there's a context to it. I know that. But the point being is there are times where the Lord will say, this is a word within the word for you right now in your life. Hold on to this promise. It will strengthen you for the journey you're on. And it's, it will give you courage. It will strengthen you. Claim it. Pray it. Read it. Memorize Whatever it takes. Allow that to permeate the life. So, again, one hand, it could be helpful to have. The, you notice what he, the psalmist says, the land of the living. He's saying, Lord, I want you to oh, please open this door. Bless me. as you, Open something up for me while I'm alive. But there are other times when we say, Lord, I thank you for the promise also that goes beyond this life. And I live as one secured in your hope. Remind me of that. As I negotiate my way, however you choose to bring my deliverance, I'm open to your goodness, Lord. Keep my attitude right. Keep my words right. Remind me of the first things that you've taught us. Let me pray, and then we'll close out. Lord, I thank you for your good words. And I know that they are words of life, not of death. And as we even come now to the closing times, our time of giving and our, and our closing song, I just, I really want you to let some of this permeate inside of us. Let it bring forth life. Um, help us, God, to, to not give up when part of us wants to run away or quit or yield to the, you know, the darker side or the parts of us that is, is it, it, you know, less open to, to letting you heal us. You know, Lord, the, the, the dangerous places. That's a better way of saying it. Lord, I just ask that you would just be with us and love us and cover all of us, all of us here, to love you better. And I just ask your blessing over these closing minutes, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, God. Amen.